Revelation chapter number 1. Somebody asked me this morning, are you going to teach through the resurrection story? I said, well, I'm preaching on the resurrection, but I'm not preaching through the resurrection story. And you'll see what I mean in just a minute. Uh, I heard a story this week of a, a British pastor who lived in the middle of the last century. He was a fairly famous preacher and in the midst of probably the height of his ministry, he began to have a muscular atrophy problem, ultimately that led to him losing many of his physical faculties, including speaking. On Easter, just a few weeks before his death, he wrote a letter to his daughter and said, it is a terrible thing to wake up on Easter morning and have no voice with which to shout, he is risen. He said, but it would be more terrible still to have a voice and not want to shout, he is risen. May every Easter bring new voices who for the first time shout, he is risen indeed. I'd like to invite you to look with me in Revelation chapter number 1 beginning in verse number 9. The Bible says, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the, on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God. And for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The first and the last. And what you see, write in a book. And send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. To Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one, like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, and it refined in a, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Amen. This is God's word. I want to preach to you this morning on this subject, alive forevermore. This is what our text says about Jesus. He is alive forevermore. Before we start today, I think I want to just try to summarize what we believe here. Jesus Christ is God. 
Jesus Christ is alive forevermore right now. And Jesus Christ is the only one, therefore, who can offer eternal life to anyone who would believe. And that's what I want to teach you about this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will speak your words through me and through the pages of Scripture as we listen. I pray that our hearts will be attentive. I pray that if there's anyone here that does not know a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that today they would open up their hearts and accept him as their Lord and Savior. I pray the truth will be clear. I pray the truth will be compelling. And I pray all these things for the sake of Jesus. Amen and amen. Harry Houdini died in October of 1926. His claim to fame that he was a magician who specialized in spectacular escapes. As a matter of fact, he was said to laugh at locks and sneer at fetters. They said of Harry Houdini that he had the flexibility of an eel and the lives of a cat. They did all kinds of things to try to trap Harry Houdini. They locked him up in prison and incarcerated him. They sealed him in coffins. He would escape. They riveted him in a boiler and he escaped. They sewed him into a canvas bag and he escaped. They locked him inside a large milk can and he escaped. They sealed him in a beer barrel. He escaped. He was locked into a maximum security prison and somehow Harry Houdini escaped. But in October of 1926, death laid its hands on Harry Houdini and put him into a grave out of which he has not escaped even until this day. He told his wife before this final act that he would make a way out. If there was a way out, he would make contact with her on his birthday. For 10 years from October of 1926, Harry Houdini's wife kept a lamp burning above a picture of her husband Harry. And after 10 years, she turned the light off. As it were, death finally grabbed Harry Houdini and did not let him go. I want you to understand that 2,000 years ago, death also laid its hands on the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, death put Jesus into a rock-hewn tomb just outside of Jerusalem. And there, a stone was placed over the mouth of that tomb to seal it by the Roman government and the soldiers that were placed for its protection. Yet, death could not hold the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, we are here specifically to celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ did, in fact, rise from the dead. It is a plain and clear stated fact in the Bible that Jesus Christ arose from the dead three days after he was crucified. It is supported by scripture. It is supported by evidence. It is supported by reason. In fact, it is the one and only thing that sets Christianity apart from all other forms of religion in the history of the world. Now, please pardon me today. I am not going to spend any time in my sermon today trying to prove to you that Jesus is alive from the dead. The fact of the matter is, you're probably not here because you do not believe in the resurrection. You may not even be a believer. You may not even be somebody who's accepted it. But I doubt there's hardly anyone here that would try to deny it. Very few true skeptics or agnostics would ever don the face of the door of the church because they would believe it would be an enormous waste of time. 
The fact is, although I could teach you this morning and why I believe the resurrection is true, I would rather teach you this morning and how powerful the resurrection can be in your personal life. In fact, Paul said it like this, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. There is something very personal and very powerful about the resurrection in your life. It is not just a historical fact that took place 2,000 years ago. It is an ever-present reality that transforms life every single day. In our text today, we find Jesus Christ, yes, in fact, alive from the dead. The book of Revelation was written probably around A.D. 100 or so. John is the very last of the 12 apostles that is still alive. As you can read in the text in verse number 9, John is in jail in a place called Patmos. Patmos was an island just off of the uh, country of Italy. And so John is in prison here, uh, much like, I guess, an Alcatraz-type high-security prison. John is in jail. He's been in prison for the faith. And the Bible says, while he is worshiping God in the Spirit on the Lord's day, that God himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, appeared to John in a revelation and spoke this book of revelation to him. And in the middle of this revelation to him, he says these words, John, I am the one who was dead, and behold, now I am alive forevermore. And church, i got to tell you, there is an enormous amount of comfort in the fact that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, is in fact alive from the dead. And I want to share with you from verses 9 through 18, three comforting realities about the resurrection. Would you notice, first of all, with me please, the resurrection comforts us when we face the sorrows of life. When we face the sorrows of life. Notice again in verse number 9, John is going to teach us that sorrows for Christians are very real. Notice please in verse 9 again, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. John is saying that he, like us, share something in common as companions. We share as friends, as co-labors, if you will. Something that all of us share, whether you're John or whether you are a homemaker or whether you are a pastor or whether you are a Christian businessman. There is no such thing as a person that escapes this life without a certain level of difficulty and challenge. In fact, specifically John's audience here is an audience that understood uh, persecution and trouble as Christians to a very high degree. In fact, that's how he identifies his trouble. He says, I am your companion in tribulation and the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. He says, while we are waiting for you to return again, Lord, we know that there's going to be a level of persecution, suffering, and difficulty that is going to accompany those who know Christ as Savior. Folks, listen, if you just are here today, you're going to have some sorrows in life. But if you are a Christian, an actual, genuine Christian that believes the Bible, that tries to live the Bible, you are going to have certain levels of tribulation and difficulty specifically related to your faith. Meaning there will be things because of what you believe, because of how you practice, that will bring upon you a certain level of reproach. Notice what he says at the end of verse number 9. He says, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. John was in jail not because he committed some crime. John was in jail because he spoke out God's word and because he gave witness to Jesus Christ. 
And while we may not experience the same amount of persecution here in America today, I can assure you that there are things that bring trouble in our lives directly related to our relationship with Christ. James 1, 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. 1 Peter 5, 12, beloved. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Trials are normal. Trials are a part of life. And here's what John's saying. In the middle of your trials, not only do we have to accept the fact that they are real, we can embrace the fact that Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning and sovereign over every difficulty that we might experience in our lives. When John, excuse me. When Jesus shows up to John, he says, do not be afraid of what you are going through. I am he who was dead and is alive forevermore. So I want you to notice a few things about Jesus being in our lives during trouble. Verse 13. Verse 13 says, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man. He gets this vision, and the vision is of these lampstands and these candles and these messengers. And we know from chapters 2 and 3, these are pictures of the church. And what we will see here in verse number 13 is this is one thing that you can count on. Jesus Christ is alive from the dead and he is in the very middle of anything that you are going through. Psalm 46 verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Psalm 46 verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Think about it. I mean, no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, no matter how bad the news is this morning, I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ is in the middle of it. He has faced anything that you will ever face, including death, and he has been there and he has overcome it. I mean, verse 18, uh, verse 18 says, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. On your very worst day, the day you die, is a day that Jesus Christ has already identified with you in it and has already overcome it and is standing on the other side of it, watch this, ready to bring you through even death itself. So Jesus Christ has been there. He's in the middle of it all. And then as we read the rest of the book of Revelation, he tells us this in verse number 8. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He is he who is and was and is to come. Verse number 19, he says, I want you to write down the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which are going to be hereafter. Now, again, we don't have time to read all 22 chapters of the book of Revelation this morning, but let me tell you what basically happens. Basically, John receives a message from Christ, and Christ shows John how he is ruling and reigning and sovereign over the historical events of the world, watch this, that have not even happened yet. And I am here to tell you something, friend. Jesus Christ is not just a historical fiction, uh, fi- uh, 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 figure. He is not a has-been. He is an is and was and will forevermore be. And Jesus Christ is over and will be over everything that happens forever and ever until this world is over. So here's the comfort. The comfort is it does not matter how hard life is for you. Christ is there. He is with you. He's sovereign over it. And he is doing 
things that you may not even be aware of. I think of a distance runner from Canada named Terry Fox. Some of you old timers may remember this. In 1977, he had, uh, was, a, was a star distance runner and basketball player uh, in British Columbia, Canada. He had his right leg amputated for bone cancer in 1977. And in 1980, with one leg being amputated, he embarked on a cross-Canada run to raise money and awareness for cancer research. And some of you may remember seeing this, the, the picture of the, uh, the leg that has the metal rod out of it, and he runs and swings his leg out. And if you've never seen it, you need to go look it up on YouTube. It's really, really powerful. However, he, he was forced to end his run outside of Thunder Bay, Canada when cancer spread to his lungs. Get this, he ran 143 days and covered 3,339 miles. That's almost a marathon a day for 143 days. His hopes of overcoming the disease and completing his marathon ended, however, when he died nine months later and never saw what would become of what he accomplished when he ran. Since Terry Fox's death, Canada has an annual Terry Fox run that's been held since 1981. It has grown to involve millions of participants. Over 60 countries are now involved in the world's largest one-day fundraiser for cancer research. Since that time, close to $500 million has been raised for bone cancer research in Terry Fox's name. Here's a guy who never saw everything that he wanted to see. Here's a guy that did not know who all was watching, who all was with him, and what was going on. But ultimately, people were with him, and ultimately, he has seen amazing fruit from his difficulty even after his death was over. And I'm here to tell you that whatever race you are running, however hard it may be, believe it. There is a God in heaven that is with you. There is a God in heaven that is watching over you. And there is a God in heaven that has a plan and a purpose for it all. And you can trust him no matter what is going on in your life right now. Number one, the resurrection comforts when you face the sorrows of life. Number two, the resurrection comforts when you face the shadow of death. When you face the shadow of of death. Watch this. Could there be anything more comforting to know that Jesus Christ is a Savior, watch it now, who lives and, watch it, was dead and behold is alive forevermore and has the keys of death and of hell. You know, when we come to a church service or we come to talk about Jesus, one thing that we know is going to come up when we talk about Jesus, and that is the most amazing and famous thing that happened to Jesus, the very reason why Jesus came. That is that he would die. In fact, that is what virtually everybody, like him or not, knows about him. You meet anybody, church or unchurched, and say, have you ever heard about Jesus? And they say yes, and you say, what did Jesus do? Nine times out of ten, you're going to hear somebody say, he died on a cross. The word death itself, is inextricably tied to Jesus and what he came to accomplish. And I think it's so important because death is something that all of us share in common. It is an inescapable and undeniable reality that death is a real part of every single person's life. And knowing that every single person in the world will have to face death, listen very carefully, Jesus came to taste death for you.
The Bible says, for as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Hebrews chapter number 9 says that it is appointed unto men once to die and after this the judgment. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. This is why we die and frankly this is how and why Jesus died. He died for our sins. You see, every single person in the world is separated from God because of sinful choices that we've all made. The Bible makes it plain. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The penalty or the payment or the punishment for those sins is death, separation from God. So the only way for this to be resolved is for somebody to absorb and accept the penalty for your sin for you. Otherwise, you're going to have to face this penalty yourself. And I am here to tell you this is exactly what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. The Bible says Christ also once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, I delivered unto you first of all that which also I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he arose again the third day according to the scriptures. Now, you may be saying, okay, I get it, I get it. What in the world does my death and my punishment and Jesus' death and his punishment have to do with me? It has everything to do with you because what happened on that cross was a payment Not for crimes Jesus had done, but for crimes we had all done. Furthermore, it's not the death of Jesus that is just so amazing. If that was all that happened, then frankly, Jesus would have been in the same boat as every other person who's ever lived and died. But Jesus isn't in the same position as every other person that died. Yes, his atonement was amazing. And yes, it was the payment for the sins of the world. But it would have not been validated. It would have not been that which is able to offer eternal life without what happened three days later. Yes, he died for us. Thank God. Yes, he shed his blood for us. But the greatest news is that he rose again from the dead. And that is how you can face the shadow of death with confidence. Because you have a Savior who you are following that defeated death. Guess what? That means you will also defeat death. You realize 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 26 says that the last enemy that will die is death. And 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 54 says death is swallowed up in victory. Oh death, where is your sting? Oh grave, where is your victory? The resurrection of Jesus Christ did something amazing. It turned death into a possible celebration. It turned death into a closed, cold, dark door, into a doorway unto eternal life just like Christ. Because Christ is alive, all of a sudden, death is not the same for those of us that believe upon him. Yes, we're going to die, and yes, there are still difficult things with it. But friend, I got good news for you here this morning. If you die in Jesus Christ, that's not the end for you. There is eternal life. And here's the choice that you have. In determining what you believe, in determining how you're going to face death, it would be wise for you to consider that you would be following the one who defeated one of the things that people fear more than anything. 
death. So as you sit there in your seat this morning, think about it. How do you feel about the inevitable reality that's coming your way? What comfort do you have knowing that I may not make it home from church today or I may not make it to my 40th birthday or I may not graduate from high school or I may never get married or whatever other thing you want to put in there? What, what comfort would you have walking into your doctor this week who tells you, actually, I've got some really bad news. It's not going to be long and your life is over. What comfort would you have standing over the graveside of someone that you love? Doesn't it seem to tear people apart and fill their lives with unbelievable fear? And I would say it will and it should if you don't know Christ. But it can't and it shouldn't if you do know him. I heard a story of a man who was a lifelong follower of Islam for numbers of years later in his life. He converted to Christianity and accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. Of course, he was ridiculed for his faith. He was asked by many people why he did it. And finally, he came up with an answer when one friend said, why did you become a Christian and leave Islam? And he said these words, well, it's like this. I came to a fork in the road. And I had to choose one path to follow. At the end of one path, there's a dead man in a grave. At the end of the other path, there's an empty tomb and a living Savior. And so I chose to follow the one who faced death and defeated death knowing that one day I was going to die. And I don't want to follow someone who cannot defeat my greatest enemy. Amen. The resurrection of Jesus Christ brings comfort to anyone who faces the shadow of death. Finally, the resurrection comforts us when we fathom the seriousness of eternity. The seriousness of eternity. Look, if you will, at verse number 18 again. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive Forevermore. This is one of the most amazing theological statements in the Bible. I am he who lives or is living. Some may say that highlights his pre-existence eternality. I was he who is living. And then I died. I was dead. Which is an aorist tense verb in Greek meaning it had a fixed reference point. Watch this. A fixed reference point with no further ramifications. He died. Let me, okay, okay. Let me try to explain it to you simpler. Who can say, I was dead? I mean, I could say things like, I was hungry, but then I went to Chipotle and I'm no longer hungry, right? Of course, not today. They're closed for Easter. Anyways, so I could say things like, I was tired, but I took a nap. Now I'm not tired. Or I was broke, but then I got a job and I'm not broke anymore, Right? Or I was single, but then I got married, so I'm not single anymore. Who can say I was dead as if it was something that was and now it's no longer? Answer, the Lord Jesus Christ. I was dead. And then watch this. Behold, I am alive forevermore. And this is really, really, really important. He says here, and I have the keys of hell or Hades and of death. I want you to listen very carefully to just a couple thoughts here. Eternity is a reality. It's a reality. Every single 
person in this room is going to live somewhere forever. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There's either perishing or everlasting life. He goes on, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believe, believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Uh, Matthew chapter 25 verse 46, and I could go on, but it says this. Speaking of a group of people that knew God and a group of people that didn't know God. He says, and these will go away into everlasting punishment. But the righteous into everlasting life. Folks, one thing that you can know for sure is that the Bible plainly teaches us that there is an eternity. There is a heaven and there is a hell. And it's real. Jesus preaches it. Jesus talks about it. In fact, Jesus talks a lot about it. It's presented in scripture as a state of reality. People without Christ are separated from God forever. People in Christ go to heaven having their sins been forgiven. It's an reality. But also the reality is that there are keys that unlock eternity. And Jesus says here, I have the keys of Hades and death. I mean, just, just imagine being locked out of your house and the only way in is a key. Either you've got the key or you don't. If you don't have the key, what do you got to do? you got to call the one that's got the key. And they've got to let you in. And think about this. This is exactly what Jesus is saying. There is an eternity. There is a heaven. There is a hell. And I'm the one that has the key. Friend, listen. If there's only one way to get into heaven... And that one way is held by a person who has the key to heaven. Then let me tell you exactly what you need to do. You need to know the one that has the key if you're going to get in. 1 John chapter 5 says it like this. He that has a son has life. He that has not the son of God has not life. These things I've written unto you that believe on the name of the son of God. That you may know that you have eternal life. You have Jesus. You have life. You don't have Jesus. You don't have life. You're not getting into the door of heaven without the key. And the only one that has the key is Jesus. So if anybody's going to let you in, it's got to be the one that can unlock the door. And the one that can unlock the door is the one that has the keys. And the one that has the keys is Jesus. So friend, listen. If you are going to get into eternity with Christ in heaven, you are going to have to know Jesus. You're going to have to believe in him, accept him as your Lord and Savior, and call upon his name to have the absolute certainty that if you die, you will be in heaven with Christ forever. Do you know that? I remember my grandma was dying of cancer. She found out she had stage four liver cancer. She was 87 years old. She chose not to have any treatments. <clears throat> And they knew that she would pass within just a few months. Turned out to be, quite honestly, just a few weeks. I was traveling and preaching at that time. I happened to be in Virginia, nearby where I grew up. I couldn't make it home to see her. I had no guarantee, if I, even if I drove that whole way, that I would make it in time. She was dying. She, had, she was down to about 75 pounds, shriveled up with cancer in her bedroom, drawing her last breaths. I did the best I could. I, I, I couldn't call. She was unconscious. I didn't know. Uh, if there was any way I communicated, the best I could do is I, I sat down in the office wherever I was preaching and I bought a little card and I just sketched out a note to her and told her how much I appreciated her. 
And I wrote out the lyrics to a song, Finally Home. Some of you may have heard that song. Think of stepping on shore, finding it heaven, touching a hand, and finding it God's. Breathing new air, finding it celestial. Waking up in glory and finding it home. My mom said that note reached the house that day when the mail ran about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. They checked the mail. My mom grabbed the mail, saw a card for me, and went in. We don't know if she heard it. But my mom was able to sit there and read those words to my dying grandma who died within two hours of the letter arriving to her home. I don't know if she heard it. Maybe I'll know one day. But I do know this. Whether she heard it or not, the words were true. And within just a matter of reading, a matter of minutes of reading that letter, that whole chorus of that song became a reality. Paul said, absent in the body is present with the Lord. Are you listening to me this morning? I'm saying that one day you're going to die, and when you die, immediately you're either going to heaven or you're going to hell. If you're going to make it to heaven, you better get there on the back of the one who rose from the dead and has the keys of death and of hell. And that is the only possible way that you can get there. And that reality can be your reality if you will open up your heart like the front door of your house and welcome Jesus Christ in to be your Savior. The Bible says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray to together if we could.